in and above that that he wants us to go through so that the day the prophecy happens, we're ready for it. We're changed by it. We get its full kind of implication. So chapter 34, we'll try to read it in its entirety. And I want you to ask one question or figure out. This whole chapter is designed for you to ask one question, right? So we'll ask at the end, what is the question? I know you'll get the answer, but what is the question? Does that make sense? So what is the question this chapter is asking? Anyway, chapter 34, verse 1. This message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel. Give them this message from the sovereign Lord. Destruction is certain for you shepherds who feed yourselves instead of your flocks. Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? You drink the milk, wear the wool, butcher the best of the animals, but you let your livestock You let your flock starve. You have not taken care of the weak. You have not tended the sick or bound up the bones. You have have not gone looking for those that have wandered away and are lost. Instead, you have ruled them with force and cruelty. So my sheep have been scattered without a shepherd. They are easy prey for any wild animal. They have wandered through the mountains and hills across the face of the earth. Yet no one has gone to search for them. So God is upset in the beginning with shepherds. The shepherd motif is very familiar in the ancient Near East. Almost all kings, leaders, define themselves as shepherds. Uh, One of the the words in Egyptian for ruler is heka, which I think we have a picture of it. It's the crook and flail, crook and flail. So these are actually Tutankhamun's. These are the ritual objects of leadership for an Egyptian pharaoh. And see the crooked staff? What's that look like? It's a shepherd's crook. It's exactly what it is. So the word for leader is literally shepherd's staff. I mean, that's the way you write it in Egyptian. Egyptian is cool because you can hold the object. It can be an art object. It can also is a word at the same time. So uh, Pharaoh both is your shepherd and he also beats you. <laughs> That's what the flail is. It's a whip. So, you know, it's the stick and carrot early version. But this idea that the kings, the princes are supposed to be shepherds, we get it. It's, it's pretty solid. What does that say about us? What are we? Sheep. Now, it's unfortunate that we don't have the kind of experience that our grandparents or great-grandparents did with the ranch or the farm. I mean, I know some of us do, but what kind of animal are sheep? They're dumb. (laughs) They're stupid. They need a shepherd. Now, part of it is our fault. It's probably one of the earliest animals we domesticated, sheep and goats. So we've changed them a little bit from their wild relatives. But they are pretty dumb. They don't see well. They have horrible herd instincts, right? And we tend to get rid of their defense, their horns and that kind of stuff. Um, But because I grew up in a big city, I always liked these kind of things. Let me show you an example of the intelligence of sheep. Now tell me at Christmas you don't see this in stores. And then they get stuck again. (laughs) 
Look at it. Look at it. It's stuck. So for a culture that's been raised with a sheep, when we start talking shepherds and sheep, there's some natural assumptions they're making about, yeah, people are not, we're left to our own devices, we'll just get ourselves stuck in a doorway. It's, it's really not. Uh, people love, you know, we are the sheep of God, and, he, and, and it's true, he, he describes it that way. But again, there's those multiple levels. We need leaders. We need someone to help us go one, one at a time. It's, it's, it's just humanity. In this case, God is after the shepherds because, in the, look what he said, um, you drink the milk, wear the wool, and butcher the best animals. Now, what are you supposed to do with sheep? Yeah, shear, I mean, these things, you're just to milk them, shear them, and eat them. Um, the shepherds are supposed to. But appreciate sort of the level that God is changing this, right? He's, he's presenting these princes, the last, we, we've had several prophecies against them, but the last princes of the house of David, how they were literally robbing the, the people in order to survive. It's like the Titanic is going down. And so what you do is, as the captain, you run out and you get the lifeboat, and you, you get away. Instead of staying and trying to help save as many on the ship as you can, you're, you're saving yourself. That's what the last princes were doing. They were stripping the people of what possessions they still had in a vain attempt to bribe one of the two powers they were facing, either the Egyptians or the Babylonians. Uh, they were hoarding the food. Do you remember at, at the last battle, what does the last king of the house of David do during the last battle of Jerusalem? He takes the last of the soldiers and he runs. In many ways, it kind of reminded me of Afghanistan when all that fell apart, right? The president of Afghanistan loaded up with as much money as he could and he's getting out of town. And that, this just rubs God the wrong way. I sent you to be a shepherd for these people. I gave you authority, I gave you power, and your responsibility is to the people. Now, do you think that's a common theme? for rulers in the ancient Near East, that their responsibility is to care for their people? It's really not. I mean, even the Egyptians and all there, yes, I'm the shepherd, uh, have a great saying that the people are the cattle of Pharaoh, uh, which means your, your dinner, your lunch. You're here to plow his fields and provide him sustenance. The kings usually felt like they had a responsibility to the gods, I'm not really to the sheep. The sheep were just food. They were just sustenance. And so God, and this is some of the challenge of tonight, God is really trying to change the dynamics of the world, the way we treat each other, the way rulers treat us, the way we treat each other, and the way that God is trying to, to treat us. So he's saying, it's the shepherd's responsibility. You should know this. When a sheep gets hurt, Take care of it. Uh, when they're scattered, what do you go and do? Yeah, you go find them. You don't lead them to the wolves. You don't lead them to the predators. 
who else is scattered at this point? Israel. Not only the northern tribes were scattered God knows where, but certainly Judah and the Levites are, are spread all over. Some are in Babylon, some are in Egypt, uh, some have gone further north, some are even showing up in uh, Greece and Rome at a very early period. They're, they're all over the place. And here, and we'll see it mirrored in Jeremiah and in Isaiah, God begins this teaching that he is going to gather together all of the remnants, all of the, the sheep that have been scattered again as a flock. Now, this theme is huge. In fact, this is one of the reasons we follow this chapter so closely. When the tribes are brought back and they're restored, God brings some others along. And you'll hear, uh, we've been talking about it even on Sunday, it's this idea that God is gathering his people from all over the world and bringing them back to Jerusalem. This is both the coming of the Messiah, but it's also the end of the world when all nations are gathered. So you've heard parts of this, you know, every knee shall bow. Well, when does that happen? When all of the sheep are brought back to Jerusalem. So you've, you've gotten those stories. We're, we're trying to put them in the original context. Tonight, you're sort of hearing this hopefully with Ezekiel's ears, for the first time. That God's plan is to bring all of Israel back, to restore it as a nation. In that process, he's also going to bring the Gentiles. He's going to bring, we'll eventually know, followers of Jesus, Christians, to be together. So all those that choose to be with God will be with God. Those that do not are left to what they choose. So does it make sense? Who else talks about chasing down lost sheep? Yep, this is the theme that he's carrying forward. I don't say this is where he got it, but it is. This is this idea that's being carried forward. So, so much of what we're laying out is, is the beginning here. So verse 7, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, you abandoned my flock and left them to be attacked by every wild animal. Though you were my shepherds, you didn't search for my sheep when they were lost. That's, a, again, a very convicting on all sorts of levels. Uh, the princes of the house of David did not seek to bring the tribes of Israel back together. In the first century, Jesus is after the Sadducees and Pharisees, as much as you're fighting Rome, are you actually trying to get our people back together? Uh, there were more Jews living in Rome and Alexandria than there were in Judah. Uh, are you trying to get them back? Do you even care? And today, think about the position the church is in. How much do we search, search for lost sheep? It's, uh, it's the past, it's the present, it's the future. Uh, these, these teachings can be powerful. You took care of yourselves and left the sheep to starve. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I now consider these shepherds my enemies, and I will hold them responsible for what has happened to my flock. I will take away their right to feed the flock, along with the right to feed them themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths, 
The sheep will no longer be their prey. So God is saying, I'm going to stop this relationship that we've had where the princes lorded over you. This last gasp of the house of David took from you uh, to survive, to run off into exile, and it blew up in their face. So I'm going to replace the shepherd. That's what he says. Verse 11. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places to which they were scattered on the dark and cloudy day. I will bring them back home to their own land of Israel from among the peoples and the nations. I will feed them on mountains of Israel and by the rivers in all the places where people live. Yes, I will give them good pasture land on the right high hills of Israel. They will lie down in pleasant places and feed in lush mountain pastures. I myself will tend my sheep and cause them to lie down in peace, says the sovereign Lord. So this is awesome. We're going to get a new ruler, a new king, and it's going to be who? Yeah, I mean, that's what I mean. You, you know the answer. It's just, you know, try to hear it as Ezekiel. <gasps> wow, we're not going to have the house of David anymore. We're going to have God. He's going to be the one. Um, those kings turned out to be kind of rotten at the end. So yay, uh, we, get, we get God. But if you're still living in a refugee camp like Ezekiel is, you have a lot of questions. When does this happen? How does it happen? How are, you, are, you, are you going to show up and do this? I mean, I know we're following a metaphor here, God, but we're actually really hungry today. I mean, we live in a, remember, ruined out city that Babylonians destroyed, and they expect the Jews to rebuild it for them, but they're not supplying the Jews with what they need to rebuild. You got mud bricks. They have to make everything out of mud brick. So they're, they're miserable. They're a slave class. How is this going to happen? Did you get the, the very slight description of where the sheep will eat? Could you get the reference of what he was sort of echoing? Where are the sheep going to be fed and watered? Yeah, does that remind you of anybody's psalms? Yes, it, the language is very, very close to what David used. It's actually archaic language that they throw there in Hebrew. So there's this sense of David, and that's surprising to us because we've just sort of denounced the house of David. It seems like God's done with it. Um, you were bad shepherds. I'm taking away your role as a shepherd. I'm going to do it. And yet we still get this sense of he makes me lie down beside still waters. He feeds me beside green pastures. Very, very similar to that. So again, kind of multiple layers, uh, a, lot, a lot going on in this. It's assuring us, but it's giving us lots of questions, right? Everybody loves to say in the New Testament, oh, how could you have missed Jesus? He was here. He was the prophesied one. Just as a study, I always love to go through the prophecies myself and think, but I had gotten it. I mean, really, would you have seen like, oh, you're the one on the street. You know what a small minority it really was? I mean, the vast majority, even though he's alive until the end, and then it was kind of too late. So we know the answer, but could we have figured it out? God continues, 
In verse 16, I will search for my lost ones. And just let that rattle around. How many times does Jesus talk about searching for lost coins, lost sheep? Uh, I mean, it's, it's this theme. We've got to come back together. Um, Israel belongs in Israel. And it turns out the rest of us belong there with them too if we follow what's coming. I will search for my lost ones who strayed. Sounds like the prodigal son. And I will bring them safely home again. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But I will destroy those who are fat and powerful. I will feed them, yes, feed them in justice. Feed them justice. <laughs> okay. Um, we're, nobody can play a metaphor like God. But uh, we're, what? What just happened? He's... Uh, He's not just interested in the way the shepherds treat the sheep, but look what he does now. As for you, my flock, my people, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I will judge between one sheep and another, separating the sheep from the goats. Which this is a sign of the ultimate judgment. That's actually how Jesus describes it in many ways, the separating of the sheep from the goats. Remember this? Again, this is the beginning of it. This is the beginning of the river that turns into the Mississippi. It's small now, but it'll be huge when Jesus is in the middle of it. But what's the difference between sheep and goats? Well, sheep do too. We cut them off, but... Sheep taste good. And I grew up eating barbacoa. It's not good. I don't care what they say. It's not good. No. Uh, just in, in the thinking, uh, the, the sheep is more righteous. The, the sheep is used for, for temple sacrifice. Uh, the, the sheep is worth more. The sheep are dumb, but they're not, they're not mean. Um, has anybody ever been around goats? I mean, they're crazy from the moment they're born. And then some of them turn mean. Uh, they really can be mean. Um, goat, I mean. I'm telling you all this stuff, but you all know this. I mean, goats can jump on anything. I mean, you see them riding horses. I mean, they're, they're amazing creatures. When I was a little boy, there was a sort of farmer uh, down the street, um, and we had irrigation in El Paso, so I had to go lift the irrigation. And he had a mean old billy goat, and it would always run at the fence when I went by to lift up the irrigation ditch. So I had a long, sorted history with this goat. I threw stuff at it, you know, shot it with a BB gun more times than I could count. It didn't make it sweeter, it turns out, if you shoot it with a BB gun. Um, he was the nastiest thing. He hated me. I hated him. But it just taught me, there's a reason the devil's animals is the goat, right? It's just it's nasty animals. Uh, God agrees. Um, there's people that can sort of go and become useful for the kingdom, and then there's just the goat that causes anarchy and craziness and meanness. It, it's not really so much the animal that they're saying, God likes this one and doesn't. It's more a reflection of people, that there's this person that can be good and care for another, or this one that's only in it for himself and is probably violent. So very strong uh, end-time kind of image separating sheep from goats. But... 
the conversation is different now, right? And a few minutes ago, we were talking about God taking care of the shepherds who were not good to us. Yeah, I like that. But now God's saying, but I also am interested in the way you sheep behave. And this is different. Um, I'm going to decide, are you a sheep or are you a goat? Uh, wheat and tares is the other thing. Uh, are you wheat or are you a weed? Um, it's not enough for you to keep the best of the pastures for yourself. Must you also trample down the rest? Is it not enough for you to take the best water for yourself? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? All that is left for my flock is to eat is what you have trampled down. All that you have to drink is water that has been fouled. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will surely judge between fat sheep and scrawny sheep. For you fat sheep push and butt and crowd my sick and hungry flock until they are scattered to distant lands. So I will rescue my flock, and they will no longer be abused and destroyed. I will judge between one sheep and another, and I will set one shepherd over them. So here it's oh, a little more personal. And nobody, I promise you, in the ancient world really cared about this, the way one sheep treated another sheep. When people get desperate, when you're forced off into exile, when you don't have enough food to eat, do you think that brought the best out of Israel? What do you think life was like in that concentration camp or in the, the refugee camp? It wasn't pretty. And how is it that some are hoarding and becoming fat sheep and the others are scrawning and trying to survive? God really expected the children of Israel to treat each other different, especially in great times of need, just as like Jesus taught us as Christians. We have to treat each other differently, uh, treat each other like a kingdom mentality. So I hope some pieces are coming together. God is beginning this prophecy to describe there's a new way that we're going to interact. You're not going to have shepherds as kings. You're going to have me as a king. And we're going to work on the way you treat each other. You're all going to come and gather at my kingdom in Jerusalem. I'm going to bring others with me. What is this place he's describing? It is heaven. It's the kingdom of God. It's Jerusalem. It's all these things intertwined. Remember I said it's a story within a story within a story. It's this multifaceted thing. Part of this comes very true when Jesus comes. Part of this is very true when you die, uh, when the end of the world comes. He is releasing massive big prophecies here. But again, his focus is to get us to change the way we're relating to him and the way we're relating to each other. So are you still working on your question? There's one big question that we're supposed to ask by the ending of this. We're about halfway through, so keep thinking about your question. But I stopped verse 23 right when it got good. I will set one shepherd over them, even my servant David. And that's a better translation. So who's the new shepherd? Well, wait a minute. I thought we just dumped his rotten family because they were terrible to us at the very end. Zedekiah and his brood of vipers, they're nasty. 
I thought God said he was going to be the new shepherd. How can it be David and God? You know the answer. It's Jesus, right? But appreciate, this is the beginning. This is the question. This is the the puzzle pieces that God is laying out. Uh, This is why the Jews start looking very carefully at the son of David. Because here it is laid out, this new shepherd, by analogy, this leader of the flock, this new king, this deliverer, uh, we'll say Messiah, is David. But how is that? Um, you know, we, we saw the, the princely line end. Uh, the Babylonians killed the last of them. Uh, I, I should also say, I don't have time to go through it all tonight, but Jeremiah and Isaiah are getting the same messages. They're very, very similar, which to my mind is God emphasizing to all three of these prophets, this is very important. It's a roadmap for what is to come. You need to get it right. And they all pick up on the fact that this new deliverer is from the house of David. They'll say in Jeremiah that God promises there will always be descendants of David. And there will always be descendants of Levi. Which is shocking because of all the turmoil, all the death. You know, they're living in refugee camps. Chances are not good. So do you think there are descendants of David and Levi alive today? There's, they still are, as crazy as it sounds. Um, and talk about proof of the Bible that you never, ever really thought would be there. But there are living descendants of David. Uh, men's Bible said he got to see one of them. I didn't bring his picture. Um, but there was a famous rabbi that died uh, in about mid-90s. His name was uh, Menachem Schneerson. He was about four foot two. No, he's a little taller than that. And he just had a big old beard. But you go through his genealogy and you're like, holy moly, he's actually a descendant of David. So there are some out there. Um, Levi, even more so. Um, Levinson, if if you see Jews, Levi, Levinson, uh, Levi, these are surviving. There's not many. I mean, we're talking hundreds of thousands, but uh, it is an incredible proof uh, that God was not kidding. But our focus obviously is on one particular son of David, uh, that is Jesus. Um, So it's possible now, it was really, really possible back then. So we're getting excited, but we still have so many questions. Oh my gosh. So you're going to give us back David as a king? As a, I mean, you you didn't say... King David, you said, my servant, what is that? Um, and in the way they word in Hebrew, servant is actually before David, which is a little unusual because it usually you would put David before, but this emphasizes the servanthood uh, that will come. Again, we as Christians understand this perfectly. But um, continuing on, he, this one shepherd, this servant, David, will feed them and be a shepherd to them. What did Jesus say to Peter to restore him? Huh. Now you know where that came from. Jesus isn't just 
picking that out of the air for grins, um, for some illusion. It really is tying into this prophecy of what the Messiah, the son of David, this deliverer of Israel will do. He's feeding the sheep. He expects the other shepherds to pick it up as well. I mean, it's crazy, but this is little Christmas. You see what I mean? It's, it, it's Christmas on the Bible's terms. It's not that. It's, anyway. We okay? Is this making sense? All right. David will be a prince among my people. I, the Lord, have spoken. Okay? So he's a prince. A sar. S-A-R. It's not a king. It's not a melech. It's a sar. And I'll just jump ahead and say, Isaiah picks up the same thing, but he adds uh, sar shalom, which is prince of peace. And, And look at verse 25. I will make a covenant of peace. You've got different prophets living, living in different places, radically different people, and they're getting the same basic message. The son of David, this new shepherd, he is prince. He is the prince of peace. Shalom is a huge word. We've talked about it a lot. Really important to sort of get it in your mind that it's completeness, that it's all the pieces in the puzzle put together. It's Humpty Dumpty back together again. That's shalom. It's not just you know, being a hippie and smoking drugs or, you know, um, meditating. It's, it's things the way they should be. For example, all of Israel back, the place they should be in the promised land, gathered together with the Gentiles in the place of God. That's the shalom he's talking about. So I will make a covenant. God doesn't break covenants ever. It's not in his nature. He makes new ones and he adds those along but he doesn't make a new one and break an old one. So who do you suppose that new covenant of peace is with? Yep. I always pick on you for saying Jesus in most Bible studies because Christians do it too fast. But tonight it really is. It really, it's, yeah. This is, I will make a covenant of peace with them and drive away the dangerous animals from the land. Then my people will be able to camp safely in the wildest places and sleep in the woods without fear. I will cause my people and their homes, I will cause my people and their homes around my holy hill to be blessed. And I will send showers, showers of blessing, which will come just when they're needed. So again, God is describing a world in which Israel returns home and things are shalom. They are the way they're supposed to be. Nature is a blessing. Uh, to the people, not a curse. They receive rains at the right time. Israel, when it's working, is an incredibly fertile piece of land for the rock mountain that it is. Israel has three crops. We've talked about this before. Grain, wheat, and wine. Grain, wheat, I'm, I'm wrong. Olive, grain, and wine. They come every three months. You have a harvest festival. They're very focused like most farmers are, that the rains have to come in the right time. And to be honest with you, I can't remember all of the details to it, but it's like they have to have a little bit of a pre-rain and then the soil's good and then they get the stuff in and they're going to have heavy rain, but not too much, can't be after this day. I mean, it's a whole science. If you talk to farmers, they still do this kind of stuff today. So Israel always wants just the right amount of rain, just the right amount of time. So God knows this. Again, it's the shalom element. 
So when is this supposed to happen with this prophecy? When do they get to go back and this land be the way they're supposed to be? Well, I'm asking. I'm asking the questions here. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Part of it, they got to go back at the end of the exile, but most of them wouldn't go. So still in Jesus' day, most of the Jews were living outside of Judea. Like, even Jesus is from Galilee, which wasn't part of Judea. But most are in Africa, most are in Rome, living with the Greeks. Uh, We certainly saw in 1948, they went back to their country. And uh, agriculture is pretty awesome in Israel today. Uh, they, uh, if you see it, they can grow it. Um, it's, it's amazing. But do they have peace in Israel? I wouldn't call it that. No, uh, it's exactly the opposite. So I think it's definitely one of these things in the prophecy where it sort of happens and then it continues to happen in a greater sense. Has Jesus come? Yes. Is Jesus coming? Yes. yes. So Israel is returned, but Jesus or Israel will return. Part of it is the future that we're going through, and then part of it is the ultimate expression of when we are in heaven with God. Now we're taking these baby steps towards this day. God's going to get full bore about chapter 40 when he starts telling us, and by the way, you're going to live with me in a new temple, in a new place. And it starts to blow their mind. But we're starting here. Um, So he's talking about this transition from where you are now in the refugee camp through the centuries, the coming of the Messiah, the restoration of Israel, and uh, ultimately, shalom, the rightness with the world and God. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Please know Ezekiel's head is blowing up at this point, right? This is, you've been through it. Has it anything been like this? No, it's been hard and listing our sins and the terrible things and, uh, and now, wow. 27, the orchards and the fields of my people will yield bumper crops and everyone will live in safety when I have broken their chains of slavery and rescued them from those who enslaved them. Then they will know that I am the Lord. They will no longer be prey for other nations. Wild animals will no longer attack them. Isaiah says the same kind of thing. He's seeing this, and he says the lion will lay down with the lamb. So again, it's parallel uh, that all the prophets are getting. They will live in safety, and no one will make them afraid. Which takes us all the way back to the Garden of Eden. What did Adam say to God when he asked, where are you? Yeah, I'm I'm afraid. That, that phrase in Hebrew breaks your heart. You're supposed to have fear of the Lord, right? But the way that Adam worded that, it wasn't, I have fear of the Lord, I fear the Lord, uh, because he had sinned. So in a sense, God is saying, I'm trying to reverse everything that's happened since the garden. I will bring you to a place. I'll bring you back with this new shepherd. We will have peace. The world will be like it was meant to be, you and I together, and you will not be afraid. This temptation uh, to go to sin, to be ashamed of your sin, will, will be gone. 
I will give them a land famous for its crops, so my people will never again go hungry or be shamed or scorned by foreign nations. In this way, they will know that I am the Lord and I am with them. What's that phrase? You know this. For a free round trip ticket to Odessa. No. um. (laughs) What does the phrase... Um, God with us mean? Emmanuel. Huh. Hebrew loves to work this way. Um, So that God will be with them. Emmanuel. This has been God's dream since the very beginning, to walk with them in the garden. It's a prophetic name of the Messiah. It's what is described for us at the end of Revelation. That God's place is now with his people. And they will know that they, the people of Israel, are my people, says the sovereign Lord. You are my flock, the sheep of my pasture. You are my people, and I am your God, says the sovereign Lord. So a huge shot of confidence, a huge shot of hope. But we have probably lots of questions, but what is the one question this has been pushing us towards? What's the one question? If you could ask God anything after this, what's the one question you would ask? When? Okay. Now, good luck with that. He's, he would probably give you an answer like, yes. Um, because it's, it's both coming. I mean, Jesus does the same thing with the kingdom of God. Do you realize that in the New Testament? It confuses people just no ends. In fact, this is one of the questions we ask um, ministerial candidates for their interviews off probation. And if they can't answer this, they usually don't get ordained. But Jesus says both the kingdom of God has come and he says it is coming. And you have to get both of those because this is that biblical kind of way of thinking. It's the kingdom didn't just come when Jesus got here. Yes, it was there when he came, but that wasn't the end of it. It begins this process. And so Jesus or God is doing much the same thing here with the prophecy. The restoration is going to begin and it's going to continue. But we would ask when, but what's, what's a little more natural question? Who? Who is this? You, you gave us David? What? Yeah, we know it's Jesus, but they don't know it's Jesus. Yeah, but it is Jesus. Um, wouldn't it have been great if he just said, and by the way, his name will be Jesus Ben Joseph. He'll be born in Nazareth. I'm out. Uh, <laughs> we, we probably would have uh, contorted that. And, and there's so many little clues, little breadcrumbs that he's left along the way. And people are trying so hard to pick up on him. You know, one of the earliest names from the Messiah is Shiloh um, because of this sense of peace. Uh, we we ju- usually dump that one uh, as Christians. Uh, and then they really picked up on the Emmanuel stuff. And again, we sing it in a Christmas carol and then we forget it. Um, but again, it was raised here uh, that he will be the God with us. So again, God's given us a lot 
but it's in that very rabbinic way. He wants you to discover who this is. He wants you to live like a sheep in such a way that you will recognize your shepherd. What's another one of the the great things that Jesus teaches over and over again? The sheep must learn the sound of its shepherd's voice. He's not going to come, like he said in the beginning, like a king and say, I've arrived, I'm the new power in Jerusalem, everyone bow down. Because all that does is teach you to respect authority, power. For whatever reason, God is not interested in mindless soldiers. What he is interested is in fully realized people that can choose love, that can choose him. So he's telling us help is on the way, and he's giving us some hints, but you have to decide for yourself if this is truly him. You have to accept him. Um, it's like you get to pick your Messiah, but there is, there is one, and will you see him? And the track record is not great, so we need to encourage each other. But I've talked for a long time. Let me stop. Comments, questions, worries? This is different, isn't it? Yes. Until we're all in heaven. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully one of the exercises we'll go through. If Omicron doesn't shut down the world again. Ugh. But I'll take you through the old city in Jerusalem. It's the old walled city of the oldest part of Jerusalem. It's where the temple is. And it's obviously the most fought over real estate in the whole world, right? So it's divided into four quarters. And these are each of the religious groups that have a little section of it. So you've got the Jewish section, you've got the Muslim section, and then you actually have two Christian sections. There's two different sects. There's an Armenian sect and then more of the Catholic section. And you can walk around, depending on the crowds, this whole old city in maybe 30 minutes. And it's like walking through a time machine. You will go to the Israeli section, and it's all brand new, clean, very nice shops, air conditioning. You'll feel like you're in Lubbock. You'll go into the Arab section, and you'll feel like you've been thrown back 400, 600 years in time. It's crowded, it's dirty, it stinks, um, it's filthy, there's stuff running on the ground, and you just, I mean, you literally, it's like, out of the Jewish section, into the Arab section. Um, it's hostile, it's, it's a mess. I personally always tried to avoid it, because it's hard to get through. You know, the typical Arab market, where all the stalls are out and everything is packed, that's exactly what it is. So if you get through that, then you'll go through the Christian sections, With the Armenian, there's nobody there. I swear to God, it's like a ghost town. They're all monks that live inside. You never see them. So like, why do they have all this square footage? But but nobody's there. And then the Catholic section is full of tourists, and they're all selling you um, wooden crosses, wooden beads, wooden nativity scene. It's like uh, Christmas Disneyland. Um, So it's got its own sort of annoyance. But all four of these places exist 
in the same geography, but they're in different places, mentally different times. It's so, so strange. Um, and I, in a way, I can sort of see God's hand working in all of it. But honestly, the most vibrant is the Israeli section. Uh, they are growing, moving ahead. I get frustrated with the Christians because it, it's just like a tourist shop. Um, there's Christian life other than selling rosary beads. Um, but that's my opinion. You can form your opinions when we go there. Um, Israel's not perfect, but I definitely think they're supposed to be there. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's funny. You do see them gathered from all over the world. It's bizarre. You see Russian Jews. You see American Jews. You see Ethiopian Jews. There's black Jews. I didn't know that until I went to Israel. There's a lot of black Jews. I'm like, huh. So who knew? But any other questions? Well, let's pray. Father, our God, we thank you for this great treasure tonight. We know we knew what was in the present before we unwrapped it. We are somewhat spoiled children and that we know the gift, the great gift you've gotten for us is your son. But we still thank you for these words that announce the first coming of Christmas, announce the first coming of a new shepherd that would be our Prince of Peace, that would be God with us, that would be of the house of David. Father, after all that we crawled through in the first half of Ezekiel, of all the filth and sin and disappointment that we caused you, it baffles our mind to think that you would now bless us. You would come to us. Father God, we know in our time, this present has long been opened. The gift given not to, to the Jews, but to the whole world is one you still offer this year. Forgive us for the time that we treat it with contempt. We dismiss it. We forget that it is the single greatest event in human history. We pray this year that we might come back and in our own eyes, with our own hands, see this new shepherd, see this son of David, who now calls to us and wonders, will we be the stupid sheep or will we be the sheep that listens? Help us this year to be the ones that listen. In your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen.
Christian, 